This week on Dig Me Out. If you were to create a rock and roll monster, Frankenstein, for me, you would think it would be this. Tim and Jay review Earth versus the Wild Hearts by the Wild Hearts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay. Man, you are booming tonight. Yes. I am enthusiastic. Wow. Jay, it's episode 251, yeah. 251, season five. We are getting close to the end of season five. We are in uh, the, the waning months and weeks of the year so we're getting to some reviews that you and i have picked um and some of these are based on discussions that have been had around interviews that we've done recently we last week we did braid and that was based on talking to jay robbins of jawbox and burning airlines and a variety of other bands and producing bands and he had produced braid so we thought Let's check out a Braid record. Back a few weeks ago, we reviewed an album that you picked. It was called The Almighty and their album Power Trippin'. And in the discussions on the Facebook, we uh, or one of the people who was commenting brought up the band The Wild Hearts. So you said, Tim, we should check out The Wild Hearts. So I said, Jay, let's do that. In fact, that happened on our last episode. You decided it on the podcast. We did. We made history. It was. It was a historical moment. Never done before. May never happen again. Who knows? <laughs> so, Jay, tell me, uh, what was your reasoning for picking the Wild Hearts? Uh, they're a band that uh, I think mostly in the U.S. are unknown, but I think in the U.K. they have a somewhat of a following. Uh, the singer... Ginger has been kind of an underground and, you know, lost treasure of sorts in terms of pop songwriting um, and the various projects he's done outside of the band. Mm-hmm. So I think he's, uh, you know, the album is significant and I think it's very influential to a certain group of people. Held, uh, the, the band is held pretty high in small group of people who love uh, power pop and hard rock and thought it'd be cool to go back and check out kind of surprised we hadn't talked about them yet already no not really um they they were a band that uh the name came up probably once or twice in us just talking about music but i don't think in the podcast uh we've ever really talked about them so this is our opportunity they're a band I've checked out from time to time. I follow him and his career somewhat. I'll get into what I think of the band, but uh, we saw them live. Do you remember? We did? Yeah. They opened for The Darkness. Oh. I didn't realize that. Yep. So this would have been, what, uh, 10 years ago? Yeah, because it was the second Darkness album. Right? Yep. I don't remember. I guess so. Yeah, I, I think it was, it was the second album they were on tour for. I just, I remember not, I remember liking the band, but really disliking the crowd at that show. Yeah. There were like people like moshing. Like, I don't think you're getting what the darkness are trying to do. 
Yeah. I don't think this is a moshing band. It's kind of a butthole crowd. It was a butthole crowd. Uh, let's talk about some history of the Wild Hearts. History of the band. The Wild Hearts formed in Newcastle upon Tyne, England. I think that's how you pronounce it, Tyne. Uh, in 1988, or excuse me, 1989, the primary and basically the only consistent member is the aforementioned Ginger. They broke up in 1997, got back together in 1998, broke up again, reformed in 2001, uh, broke up again in 2005, reformed again in 2006, broke up again in 2010, reformed in 2012, and are still together at this point. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of the members of the band because there are a lot of members of the band. At various points, different people come in and out, and sometimes they go back in. Uh, let's just talk about the uh, discography, if you will, for this band. We're reviewing their first record, which is called Earth vs. the Wild Hearts. It came out in 1993. It reached number 46 on the UK charts. Their second album, which is P period H period U period Q period, or I guess that's fuck you. <laughs> I think it's just. I think it's fuke. Fuke? No I'm kidding. I'm pretty sure it's just fuck. Uh, that reached number six on the UK album chart. Their third album in 1996, Fishing for Luckies, reached number 16. Their fourth album, 1997's Endless Namus, uh, 41 in the UK, 46 in Japan. 2003, The Wild Hearts Must Be Destroyed. 2007, The Self-Titled Wild Hearts. Uh, 2008, The Covers Album, Stop Us If You've Heard This One Before, Volume 1, which includes covers of such bands as Helmet, Fugazi and the Toadies. And then 2009, Chutzpah. That is the album releases. They've also released EPs, singles, compilations, live albums. There you go. Uh, For this particular album, Jay. Yes. The lineup, which would be the debut record, is Ginger on vocals and guitar. CJ on guitar and vocals, Danny McCormick on bass, and Stiddy on drums. Now, they had some additional musicians. Uh, Willie Dowling played pianos and keyboards. Rich Battersby played drums on the song Caffeine Bomb. Stevie Lang, backing vocals on Love Shit. Sarah Smith played saxophone. And then Mick Ronson plays the guitar solo on My Baby is a Head Fuck. This is the last... This is believed to be the last uh, recorded recorded appearance of Mick Ronson before he passed away in April of 1993. So, interesting note there on this record. This was released on East West uh, Records. So, if you have an album uh, you'd like us to review, please head on over to Dig Me Out's digmeoutpodcast.com to make your pick. We did get some Facebook feedback, Jay, on this record. Good. 
Steve Muzinski said, I remember this band's name coming up during the recent review of Power Trippin' by the Almighty. Excited to hear what you gentlemen have to say about it. Well, thank you, Stephen. Eric J. Peterson, I picked up my copy of this at a local, now-gone record shop in East Lansing and wasn't impressed, but it stayed with me and, and in my collection since picking it up. It survived a couple major collection purges and over the years has become a record that I like a lot. It's ahead of its time and really is a great power pop, hard rock, alt rock gem that has a cult following but deserves wider acclaim. It's one that I hope people will check out and give a couple spins. So, an interesting trajectory there from uh, Mr. Peterson. Started out not caring for it. Now recommends people check it out. Where will we fall, Jay? Where will our hammer of justice fall on this particular record? I'm I'm busy over here lifting it. Be careful. It's heavy. Since you picked this one, Jay, I'm going to start. I'm going to tell you uh, one thing that I really like about this record. I like the amount of swearing in the song titles. <laughs> okay. No, I, I actually do enjoy swearing in rock music, but uh, that's not the thing I'm picking. Uh, I'm going to pick uh, something that is is a clear differentiator uh, from other bands of this ilk, and that is the vocals. Ginger clearly has a one foot in like a power pop and um, much more uh, much more melodic end of the rock and roll spectrum than say Lemmy from Motorhead or uh, you know some of the heavier other bands that this band gets compared to. Okay, you know I hear melodies and 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 harmonies that could be on cheap trick records and i've read descriptions where people have said this is metallica meets the beatles and i think that that is kind of doing him a disservice because it's a little more isn't beatallica metallica meets the beatles that's true beatallica <laughs> is metallica meets the beatles so that's that's a that's a poor descriptor i love that band they are brilliant but there's just uh, every song on this record, for the most part, there's a one or two songs that I, I don't care for. But for the most part, every song on this record has a, a really catchy chorus, lots of interesting vocal stuff going on uh, on a lot of these songs, whether they're harmonies, sometimes he even takes it into places you're not necessarily expecting, uh, where it gets way popular, or they introduce, uh, there's like a, a female vocal in one of the songs that's kind of a soul singer almost. And um, I just was kind of caught off guard. I thought this was going to be more in the uh, straightforward, almighty sort of hard rock metal sound. Yep. Yeah. But this is clearly a, a much different direction than uh, people are probably expecting.
Jay, tell me uh, what's uh, one thing that you like about this record? Most well, choruses, right? Every song has got a solid chorus. It's almost to the point where it becomes uh, <laughs> predictable. <laughs> like you can start to feel in the songs like, okay, here comes the killer chorus. And there it is. So, I mean, there's definitely a somebody here that really appreciates 70s uh, pop, uh, power pop. Got a little bit of influence from maybe, you know, 80s pop metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, here and there, some of the gang vocals and and whatnot, um, and the overall aesthetic of the band. I think you know, super crunchy, overdriven guitars all the time. And so, really, to me, it's it's always been from for for what works in this band. It's the songwriting, even above and beyond performance or anything else. I think it's the the core songs uh, that are here is really to me what's uh, what separates. And it's always separated anything he's done from many of the many of the bands out there. Uh, you kind of in the same ballpark, sort of a I think always been a step ahead in terms of the songwriting. I, when I was listening to this record, Jay, I was thinking Gene and Paul should have hired Ginger to write songs for Kiss uh, in the nineties. Yeah. yeah, because you hear a song like "The Miles Away Girl," mm-hmm. that riff in that song. Yeah. Is classic Kiss. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. It, I went back and started playing Kiss songs, and I was like, "Oh, it kind of sounds a little bit like she," and then it kind of has a little bit of of this riff, and it has a little bit of that riff. And there's peppered throughout the record, you hear elements of of a band like Kiss and their guitar riffing, and then you hear a little bit of Motorhead, and then you hear a little bit of you know some other bands, but his approach to to songwriting and his uh lyrical content would have mm-hmm. fit in perfectly with uh, uh what kiss was trying to do yeah uh in the in the late 80s and 90s so Now, I think I read that uh, I'm not familiar with this band. I think you are. He was in the band The Choir Boys before yeah, this. Briefly. Okay. Which nope. are another band that are much bigger and are bigger in Europe and Australia than they are here. So, do they sound anything like this? No, they sound like uh kind of Rolling Stonesy. They okay. were uh they were a 80s, you know, kind of a pop blues metal band. And they had a minor hit, MTV hit here. Singer's got a really almost Rod Stewart y kind of raspy voice and they sound like kind of a you know, a metaled up stones or faces. Okay. So he was kind of obviously out of place in that band. In terms Ye- of what he's doing. Yeah, the closest you get to the stones is love shit. It's got that like blues riff 
stuff going on that sounds like the stones on like speed or something like that sort of what like uh the helicopters were doing later on dude listen to the opening riff of that that song you don't hear what that sounds like i thought you would have called this right away oh well it sounds like um that that sounds like the Metri preachers yeah slash and burn yeah <laughs> it's it's almost identical And there's a couple other moments where I heard that Generation Terrorist kind of sound, uh, that era of Manic's sound on this record and some of the riffs, which was interesting because that would have came out, uh, what, a couple years before this? I think that was 91 is when Generation Terrorist came out. Yeah, so this is two years before this. So, I mean, obviously they could be influenced by, by the same music, but uh, there's definitely some similarities. I want to jump to... So here's the thing with this band with for me. Okay. Uh, on paper, this should be my favorite band ever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when you lay out what what I like, if you were to create a rock and roll monster, Frankenstein, for me, it would, you would think it would be this, but that for some reason it just doesn't connect as well as it should. Hmm. And that's not to say I don't I dislike it because I don't. I just don't find myself, uh, it just doesn't, I don't get the emotional kind of, guttural connection and as I was going through the record kind of breaking it down trying to figure out why that is I think this is a band that you know you said Metallica and the Beatles together sometimes the bands that have identity crisis can be really interesting and other Mm -hmm. times they can be kind of in their own way (laughs) and I think this is a band that a lot of times kind of gets in their own way with it sounds like uh, it sounds like they're not comfortable completely. Maybe being a pop hard rock band, and they I hear a lot of like forcing of riffs that don't need to be there, and like trying to be. And I remember this when we saw them live, and it kind of struck me um, at the time. And going back and even revisiting this first record, you hear it where you know they're trying to assert themselves in a lot of spots as being like a heavy or punk or metal or, you know, something very aggressive and even angsty at times like sucker punch. And there's another song towards the end, uh, drinking about life. Once it kicks in is real angsty, but the best, the parts that work the best are the, you know, the, the, the pop melodies. And 
I just found myself like hearing a lot of extraneous riffing and posturing that I don't necessarily think in hindsight needs to be there. One, it makes the songs bloated. You know, these should be, these should all be like barely three minute songs. Yeah. They're not, and they're not. I mean, four and a half, four and a half, six and a half, four, four, five and a half, four and a half, five, six minutes, five minutes. Like, there's no way any of these songs should be over. They should be all about three minutes and none should get to four. And uh, a lot of that, when you listen to it, they all have like intros. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the riffs. Sometimes the riffs are kind of creative and fun, but, you know, it's a good 45 seconds or a minute before the vocal starts and some of these songs. And it's just like, you know, play a riff and then they change it around and play the riff different and they play it different again. And then the verse starts and the verse is completely different than any of the intro riffs. You're like, what was the point of all that? <laughs> like, like, it's all that like drop D gymnastics and, you know, palm muting and all the stuff going on here for, for a minute that had nothing to do with the song. And, you know, the song starts and the verse will come in and it'll be like a completely different song, great melody. You're like, oh, here we go. Here's the song. Okay. And then, you know, you sort of get through most of it and then they'll come around to a bridge that's completely different. Uh, usually some kind of riff. And sometimes they'll, on a couple of these songs where they get long, you know, they'll even open it up and go even longer with the bridge. I started to just, you know, I love riffs as much as anybody, but it it just seems to be in conflict with what this band is best at, you know? And I remember when we saw them live, uh, it may have been a couple, it may have been like a song like Greetings from Shitsville, that drop D kind of, that kind of thing. And they just, I remember them playing that, like a, this drop D riff for like 10 minutes. I'm like, what is, what are these guys doing? Like they, ha- they obviously have some, you know, you could hear the hooks, you could hear the melodies. Right. Um, even a couple of the songs were punchy and, you know, could be super big radio hits. And then they would go on this like, drop D fast for 10 minutes and I'm like what what are you what are you doing like it's not you guys aren't aren't heavy enough you're not really a metal band so I'm not quite sure what you're trying to prove with with all this it's just kind of you sound pedestrian and you're obviously you don't have pedestrian talent in this band but this sort of present this meandering around with all this riff stuff is is very pedestrian so that's where I struggle with with this band, and even with you know this record is a great example um, of moments of brilliance and other moments where you're like, eh, I guess it's okay. I, I mean, another thing I've always I wished he would do more stuff where you know th- this record is real uh, distortion, tons of over, tons of gain, very little nuance in terms of kind of the sound of the band. It's you know. Marshall's cranked to 10 and he's this they've always sounded like that I don't think they've ever done a record that doesn't sound like that um, a lot of his solo stuff and other bands sound like that and I mean you hear it you hear like you know there's Cheap Trick in here and Cheap Trick I mean they can rock but they also you know they can they have, there's a lot of nuance with them you know mm-hmm. and there's no nuance with this band and the way they present the music and 
that's one thing that another thing that I just I wish was there. I wish they could like pull it back or you know, turn the distortion down here or there. And I even hoped at times like he would get more into writing. And I'd love to hear like like he did. He wrote a song for um, Courtney Love. That's really cool. It's on iTunes. You can listen to it. It's him and her playing it live. Just makes me wish he'd like write more for other people because I think the songs are brilliant. I just think sometimes the way he presents them himself and in the context of this band, they don't uh, reach mm-hmm. their full potential. So it's interesting. I want to throw a name at you. See if you picking up what I'm putting down. April Wine. Okay, <laughs> that was not expected. Okay, are you familiar with the April Wine song? I like. Is it I like to rock or yeah, I like to rock. Do you know that song? Uh, not off the top of my head. I can pull it okay. up here. Well, musically, there's not a lot to compare between April Wine's I Like to Rock and, and this. For those of you who don't know, April Wine was, a, I believe, a Canadian hard rock band that was originally from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And um, I Like to Rock came out on, I believe, the 1979 album Harder, Faster. And of course, yes. In the breakdown of that song, you know, <laughs> why didn't they have a record called Slower, Slower, Softer? <laughs> that was the Blue Jean Committee who put out that, <laughs> that one. <sighs> um, nice. I like to rock is about rock music, and so in the breakdown of that song, they start going into riffs of other songs, mm. and one. So they first they do. Uh, they do the Beatles Day Tripper, mm. and then that turns into another riff, and then it turns into another riff. They do like they do this like medley of famous guitar riffs in the middle of their song. Mm-hmm. Well, in the middle of uh, "My Baby Is a Head Fuck," or about two minutes in, they go into Day Tripper. Yeah, <laughs> and it totally took me out of the song. Yeah, because yeah. first I was like, "Are they doing what April Wine did?" And it just it makes you think of Day Tripper, and you're like, "Why am I thinking of Day Tripper right now?" You had me into this tune, right? It, it was almost it's, at times this record is almost overthought. Yeah, is I think what the what you're getting at, and what I, and what I, the problem that I have with it is like there's just too much going on. There's too much thinking. This should yeah. be like you said. This should be like two and a half to three minute long, you know, verse, chorus, verse. Give me a solo, you know. If you want to change it up a little bit, fine. But like, there's multiple five minute long songs four and a half four and a half six and a half four minutes two and a half good four minutes five and a half four and a half three minutes good five fifty two minutes and five there's just there's so much fat 
on these songs. Yeah. Um, like, I love the riff. Uh, Shame on me. Super cool riff. But they play like two times too many. Mm. Turns into a four minute long song. Could be a three minute long song. But it's, I don't know. That's that's the frustration I have with this record. Is like it should have been blowing by me. Yep. And it, instead, I was like, kind of looking over, like, what what song is this? Oh, we're only on track eight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree. And I think you you nailed it with it. They take the the day tripper is the most obvious one with the it just whatever mo they had going on in that song. They switch to that, and you're like, oh, day tripper, and then you lose your train of thought like you just you're totally sucked out of the song right and i'm sitting here scratching my head like why would you do that why 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 right now do you want fans to you know people listening into this to think about the beatles what what good could that possibly serve other than you just to say hey isn't it cool that we could throw a beatles riff in here it would be like having a movie (laughs) in which all of a sudden a character says something about another movie and then you just cut to that movie (laughs) totally out of context to the movie that you're watching right i just don't get it and and that's the most obvious but they do it even within their own material you know there'll be a, a killer chorus and then all of a sudden they'll like drop into this this part or go half time or go double time or drop in this riff for just a bar and you're like what the hell was that? Like I was just singing along here and all of a sudden you like, you took a twist or turn that, I mean, I love a twist or turn, but some of these are, they're just not, they're not helping the songs. You know, they're distracting. They're, I don't know. I know I'm doing a little bit of um, amateur psychology here with the, why they might choose to do that. But I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with that you know aspect of the band like why why did you feel why do they feel like they have to be so heavy you don't have to be so heavy like you you know what i mean like your songs Mm -hmm. are good enough that you can just be a pop hard rock band you don't have to be a metal band or show how how the crazy riffs you can write i mean or you you can write weird time signatures or any of that stuff i mean you just want to make the pop song is interesting and whatever it takes do that, do it, but do uh, add to enhance the song, not distract from it. And I feel like most of the material on here with the, I think maybe TV tan is the only song where they, they don't blow it <laughs> by distracting too much from the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the other ones or the majority of the others, you're, you're like, ah, why'd you do that? <laughs> like, don't, we don't, we don't need it. It's interesting that, you know, despite this sound, which was not popular no. in the er, in the 90s, they still managed to score a number six album in the UK in yeah. 1995, which is the height of Britpop. I mean, yeah. that's the year of, what's your story, what's the story of Morning Glory? You know what I mean? Like, that's it. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, this record is so out of place. At least, I mean, I, I obviously we, we only know the america enough to be able to say for sure but this in, a, in the u.s 1993 would have been like what are you you know this not at all anywhere close to anything that was popular right maybe three years earlier or three years later but a terrible time uh in the u.s for a rep, for a band like this obviously the uk they were it wasn't as big of a deal but all right so so did you i mean that's why i kind of um 
when the comparison to the Almighty came up, I was like, I kind of get it, but it's the, what they're thinking of is the part I don't like about the Wild Hearts because they were thinking of like the drop D heavy stuff, which to me is not what makes the Wild Hearts good. Right. <laughs> it's like to me, the Almighty does the drop D heavy stuff better, and this band does the hooks better. Yeah. And they both should just stick what they do to do what they do better, <laughs> what they do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I totally see what you're saying with yeah. that. So let's give our overall ratings on this album, Jay. Were the album a better EP or a decent single? What do you say? Oh, fudge. I'm going to say an EP. I mean, I there's just... I don't think there's a song on here I don't like some of, you know? Uh... So it just makes it tough from that aspect, but I can't. Uh, I also can't name too many songs that I like all of. That makes yeah. sense. Uh, so by the time you pared it down, I think if you if you let the songs be unedited, I would make it a better EP than an album if they're going to stay in the sort of four and a half to six minute format they currently are. I, I would rather have you know five of them than eleven. I agree with you. I think if you trimmed a minute off of every song that's over four minutes, yeah. it'd be a really good album. Yeah. But as it stands, there's just a lot of fat on these songs. And um, you're better off with like a five song or six song EP. I'd say about half of the record is is okay as it is. But mm-hmm. just these songs that are like six and five and a half minutes long, just they just don't belong in this kind of a record. It's just a um, just a head scratching decision why they would go that route. Yeah. So, and I'm not an expert on the rest of the catalog, but I'm pretty sure. Somebody comment if I'm off base here, but I'm pretty sure the rest of the catalog is like this. You know, I'm sure everybody has their favorite what or whatnot album, but I don't think they stray from this format uh, at all in the rest of the catalog. No, and looking at the at the '95 album. The first song is five minutes, then it's 440, then 332, 349, 438, 235, 159, yeah. 459, 342, 508, 308, and 545. So there's nothing six minutes long, and there's less five-minute long songs. So there are a, a few shorter songs. Uh, so, yeah. so there you go. And there we go. That's our review of... Earth vs. the Wild Hearts by the Wild Hearts. Uh, if you have an album you would like to have us check out, please head on over to our website at digmeoutpodcast.com and we'll be happy to uh, listen to your suggestion and uh, maybe do it on an upcoming show. Uh, as always, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.
I shall read it as it's written. This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Earth vs. the Wild Heartsy by the Wild Hearts.